0: when you come in on monday and you're not feeling real well does anyone ever say to you sounds like someone has a case of the mondays no man i believe you get your ass kicked
1: saying so mornings are for coffee and contemplation
0: coffee and contemplation drink the coffee it'll make you feel better sir do you realize that you are not drinking regular coffee but colombian decaffeinated coffee crystal? what picture up calms you down, it's the light that drives the dreams of champions. Now he's been down in the basement drinking coffee for about the last four hours, and he should be all ready to go. I'll, I'll call him up. Good morning, and welcome to College Football Monday. This is a Sons of Saturday live show, and it is brought to you by McCoy's Auto Repair in Radford, Virginia. If you are here with me live on YouTube, and you should be, You'll notice I've got a co-host today. Pat Finn has joined the show. Pat, how you doing, buddy?
1: Pete, uh, I'm doing great. Every Monday after a victory is a good Monday, but uh, the ones after beating UVA, especially on their turf, are the best ones. So it's good to join you here. Fired up to uh, to chat with you, Pete.
0: That's right. That's right. This is uh, week 13. It Actually, I think it's week 14 of College Football Monday because we did a week zero show. And it's been a slog, dude, but it's been a lot of fun. And every week we seem to be adding uh, a few more viewers here and there. People are becoming more and more aware of the show. And having one of the original sons makes it feel all the more appropriate to be on the Sons of Saturday channel live with you here this morning. We're going to recap this past weekend's action, including the decimation of UVA. We're going to get to that very early in the show. And I'm going to go over who's playing in each championship game after I let Pat get to work here. And obviously, I'm going to also give you my playoff four. We can ask Pat if he has some ideas on the playoff, too, right before I let him go. But this is going to be a fun show. If you have any questions, hop in the chat. Make sure to like the video. Liking the video really helps us out. And subscribe to the channel. If you're watching on X, this just popped up on your feed, and you're like, oh, I see Pat there. Maybe I should should hop in there. Come over to YouTube. The link's on the Too Deep uh, Twitter feed. It's right there at the top. And you can join us. It's easier for engagement. You can ask questions and whatnot. So please hop in the chat. So people who wanted chaos this weekend in college football were sadly disappointed. We had a couple of close calls, but the only upset before Saturday, the only upset was Iowa beating Nebraska? Because Nebraska was technically a favorite, but no one who's a big college football fan was reviewing that as a, viewing that as a real upset. And uh, Iowa did get the win. But on Saturday there were some close calls. We had Alabama, we had Washington, but they both survived. Unfortunately, FSU got a scare. Georgia only beat Georgia Tech by eight points. I don't know how that's possible, but we are going to start before we get to any of that stuff with VT corner. And Pat is fresh off his trip to Charlottesville, where the Hokies prevailed 55-17 to 17 to become bowl eligible. I want to ask you, Pat, what was the game day atmosphere like at Lane Stadium North? Tell us about the tailgate
1: scene. Yeah, so first and foremost, I have been to every game that Tech has played at Lane Stadium North since 2013. Uh, 2013 was my freshman year at Virginia Tech. It was the first time I ever got to go to a game at Scott Stadium. And after that primary experience, you know, 10 years ago, I was like, hey, I got to build this into my schedule every single year. Uh, my birthday is Thanksgiving weekend every year. So it's kind of like, hey, I get the excuse. I'm going to make the call. I'm going to go. And it, and it's built in. Um, and we've had some great games in Charlottesville. Now, um, as far as Saturday's scene, I will say completely uh, completely unbiased here. I think Charlottesville in the fall, in late November, the aesthetic is really, really nice. Uh, it, it's a great town. It's a great vibe. Um, there were a lot of tailgates going on. I did not have the opportunity to go down to Fontaine, which seems to be, uh, without a doubt, the best-kept, non-best-kept Virginia Tech secret there is. Every Virginia Tech fan knows about the Fontaine research parking lot. I have parked there a few times in the past. You set up there, it's free. You hang out there for a few hours and then you, you make that 20, 25 walk up to the stadium. Um, I came in from the North side, walked through, I had to, had to go get my tickets from will call. Cause I left them in Charlotte and had to, <laughs> I had, you, call. You had yeah.
0: real tickets. They have real tickets in Yeah.
1: So when you order from the Hokie club, um, they give you the paper tickets. I think that's the case for most away games when you do okay. the uh, the Hokie Club order. So um, this was, you know, nothing new to me. I, I always order the UVA game tickets through the Hokie Club and uh, had left them pinned on my fridge under a, a magnet and realized – bound that to happen after, once. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> realized this as I was driving up to uh, to New Jersey after the NC State game for Thanksgiving and put in some calls and thank you to the, the, uh, the folks – Within Virginia Tech ticketing uh, and getting me my tickets, but a lot of people out in tailgating. Um, it seemed that a lot of these people did not come into the game or did not come into the game until midway or post. Yeah, what
0: was year. was it hard to get in? Like, was there lines? Like, I know sometimes at Virginia Tech, it's it's tough to just get through the entrance line. Was that what was going on? Because it was so empty when the game started.
1: Yeah, it was funny because you know when uh, we were way up high. And just looking over, um, seeing so many people still waiting to get in the gates well into the first quarter. It seemed like the, the people outside, and I don't know if it was mostly Tech fans or mostly UVA fans, but um, so so many of them may have thought the game was kicking off at 4 <laughs> o'clock, which, which was a sight to behold. But, yeah, I mean, walking in there, got in uh, probably 15 minutes till kick, said, hey, we're going to get a beer in the beer line and you know 10 15 minutes goes by really really uh long beer lines and then we finally get to our seats and we're pretty high up in the 519 section it is sardine jam-packed with hokey fans oh this is awesome here with our people (laughs) walking halfway up the stairs john love kicks the field goal to go up three nothing and i turn i turn and look at at all these empty metal bleachers and I motioned to to some of the people that I'm with. I'm like, "Hey, uh, <laughs> let's go down there because yeah. <laughs> I've never seen so many uh, empty bleachers in my entire life, and you know, been going to this game for the last ten years for a rivalry
0: game. Yes, exactly. Crazy,
1: absolutely. <laughs> but crazy. it did
0: it did tend to fill up. I know Clark had a comment in there earlier on this on this chat said UVA had chaos, and they did, and I'm pretty sure he was in the Fontaine lot. Devin, I've got his. His comment on the screen, I think he might have been with that crew. Those guys were getting after it, drinking a little heavy beer, a little little bourbon. Uh, Looked like a lot of fun, and I was very jealous to miss it, especially with how the game ended. But why don't we hop into the game? Because right off the bat, this game reminded me of the BC game. And you might have missed a little bit of this as you were getting beer and getting settled. (laughs) But we had a false start on a third and one and a promising drive where we had to settle for a field goal. But it showed to me, that drive still showed to me, we were going to move the ball. It was exactly like BC. And after a bad second drive where we got a tackle in the backfield, we had a fourth and two just inside of UVA territory. And Drones rolls out, hits a wide open Steven Gosnell for the touchdown, and we were rolling. What was the confidence level like for the Hokie fans at that point?
1: Fourth and two, you go up 10-0. It was a perfect play call, too play action rolls to his right. Gosnell is wide open and drones delivers a perfect pass and he just bolts to the end zone. Um, I had just met Stephen Gosnell's girlfriend outside in line while we were, um, while we were waiting uh, to get our tickets. And I was like, Hey, you know, Steven's on a heater, two games, two <laughs> touchdowns in a row. All he of a sudden pointing. <laughs> first quarter, Steven Gosnell uh, scores the first touchdown of the game. We're up 10-0. And meanwhile, we had just moved down to the corner uh, where all these empty seats were and and, uh, saw Ann Castle and Steve Upton and Pete Fox all down there. And we were just – well, first of all, we were just overconfident because of how bewildered we were that there was no one sitting there. We're like, hey, we we need to win by 100 today. And then fourth and two, getting aggressive, Tebow, as Billy Ray likes to say, took his Viagra. And uh, Steven Gosnell gets on the board, and you're up ten, 10 nothing early in the first quarter. Now, Pete, as you know and as Hokie fans know, scoring in the first quarter has been a challenge for Tech all year long. And uh, putting up a 10 spot like that on the road with a ton of Hokies behind you, it, uh, it felt like home. So that was, that was big time. The confidence was, was really high. Yeah, I
0: I felt super good, and my my wife could confirm that watching me jump like an idiot after that call because it was a great call. And a lot of the play calling early in the game when the game was still in hand or in contention uh, was very good. I thought thought Tebow called a very good game. And other than the fumble inside the five-yard line, they could not stop us. We got it quickly to 24 to nothing at the half. Our first drive in the third quarter was a touchdown on one play the 84 yarder to Felton, which was again, another perfect pass by, by Kyron UVA kicked a field goal in the ensuing, uh, they kicked that field goal. The next kickoff was the tootin kickoff return. Yep. He, he took it 94 yards to the house and made it 38 to three, which 38's a, a favorite number of ours back from the, the 28, 2011 days. But, uh, the route was on man. And we added 17 more points led by even Grant Wells at the end of the game. Got a drive going. And we got our fifty burger. He, he he missed out on the fifty burger against BC, but he helped us get a touchdown. Fifty-five to seventeen, most points ever in the rivalry. Just insanity, man. Five hundred yards of offense, eight point three three yards per play. Ties are season high. So when you look at this Commonwealth Cup, in after it's all said and done, you are a young man, but you've seen a lifetime of Commonwealth Cups <laughs> growing up. As a Virginia Tech fan, where does this rank in terms of overall enjoyment and maybe just dominance for you as all the Commonwealth Cups you've seen? Where does
1: it rank for you? Yeah, Pete, you know, this is certainly, I think, in the top three uh, for a few reasons. Um, so much was on the line here for Coach Pry for this Virginia Tech team. It's been a roller coaster season. Um, you had an opportunity to finish strong against your rival on the road to make a bowl game. You know, this was not this was not a game that the staff was taking lightly. This is not the game that the players were taking lightly and this is a game that the, the fan base certainly was not taking lightly either. Um, I think I would have to put it in the top 3, you know, because so many of those Virginia Tech needs to win at home or needs to win in Charlottesville to make a bowl game. A lot was at stake. Uh, but here, it being year one of Pride playing in this game with uh, those um, those tangibles here at stake, I-, I think it has to be in the top three for me. Doing it away from home and doing it in dominant fashion. We haven't won like that since 2016. Before, we hadn't won like that since 2011, as you mentioned. Um, scoring the most points ever in this game in a 100-plus year rivalry pretty impressive.
0: Um, it's pretty impressive. And as you were alluding to, when you win this game and bowl eligibility is on the line, it typically doesn't go like this because you're not having a good season by the fact that you've only got five wins at that point, it hasn't been a very good year. So you typically don't blow them out, but we had getting bowl eligible and the blowout. So it definitely gets up there. You mentioned 2016, that was 52 to 10, 38, nothing in 2011. 42-13 Forty-two to thirteen in two thousand nine, and that game, like UVA, was actually decent that year. Like they, they were having a pretty good season, and we destroyed them. And I think it could have been worse, honestly. That was the Ryan Williams year where he uh, broke the school record for rushing, which was subsequently broken later. Uh, and then in two thousand five, we won fifty-two to fourteen. So we've hit fifty-two a couple times, and even though the margin was the same in this one, having it for bowl eligibility, uh, it, and and just the way it all went down? Because honestly, in the second half, did you feel like we – I mean, they got 17 points. Our foot was off the gas, though, I felt.
1: What was special about not just this win, but honestly every single game we won this year, ODU 19 points, Pitt 17 points, Wake we beat by 17 points, Syracuse we beat by four touchdowns, Boston College we beat by 26 points, UVA we beat by almost 40 points. Every fourth quarter of those six wins was comfortable as a yeah. fan, and that is a unique thing. You'd be hard pressed to find another team in college football history that went six and six but won all six games by three scores or more. <laughs> I think <laughs> Shelton Moss
0: great. put it out, and it's like all ranked teams, and then us.
1: <laughs> yep, exactly. And you know the, the fact that those are our only wins is honestly bewildering. But um, yeah, just super satisfying to be able to have a year like 2022 where you're only winning three games. You don't beat any Power 5 teams away from home. And then here, you know, our our, our game against Boston College, our game against UVA, is absolutely dominating. And uh, it's good for momentum. You need to finish the season on a note like this, mm-hmm. beating your rival, knowing that all of college football is about to be in portal hell uh, when the portal – I guess the portal is opening up soon, but um, very soon. Yeah, that's not going to be fun for any coaching staff in America. <laughs> um, and the fact that we have some momentum on our side, and the, the fact that we have, uh, you know, positivity from the second half of the season is is certainly uh, a good thing.
0: Yeah, Clark has a comment here. It's funny how almost all the big wins happen in Charlottesville. Hard to top Beamer's last game in the series. Really emotional day. That's true. Some yeah. other ones that I thought were satisfying, 2007, when the championship game was on the line, we're facing up against Chris Long on the other side, and Tyrod got it done, and, and we won the game. Uh, two th- the 2014 and 2015, the Brewer years, which were so stressful, those games were so close, and we needed them to go to a bowl, uh, and that was when people were still caring about the bowl streak. Uh, that those ones I remember just going absolutely nuts watching those games um, and they they ended up being super satisfying but extremely stressful so we didn't have the stress this time but yeah so many so many good good ones over the years uh, I yeah. wanted to ask you what was your favorite play of this game because there were a lot to choose from or maybe even which one made the Hokies fans go the most nuts in the stands
1: yeah I, so Pete I saw that you put on X. That uh the Gosnell touchdown was your favorite play. And that was that was my favorite play of the first quarter. We we could probably break <laughs> this up in a quarter. Yeah. Uh, the facial tootin' kick return. I uh, I had just gone up to uh to get a beer and a hoo dog, not a hot dog, but a hoo dog. And uh, came back down and uh, I heard Pat and I saw my guy Jay Osborne and his wife Alexa, and I went over and hung out with them and and uh and Johnny O for a little bit. And this was uh, right before UVA kicks from the seven-yard line, and uh, they'd score their p- first points of the day. The LED lights go off, the fireworks <laughs> go off, and oh my I god! Think, I think I think if you were a Hokie fan, you probably thought you were at a c- comedy movie or a comedy show at that point because of all the laughter from the uh, the folks clad in orange and maroon. So, so funny, man! We get the ball back, and tootin, He's not running into a brick wall, but he's certainly running into some traffic. And uh, Jay is like, go tootin', go tootin'. And his wife nudges me, and she's like, every single time tootin' goes the ball, this is all I hear from Jay, go tootin', go tootin'. (laughs) And then all of a sudden, tootin' goes, and tootin' went, and tootin' scores, and uh, (laughs) starts celebrating at the 30-yard line. Just uh, that was chaos. That was certainly chaos in this section. I mean, the game was already out of, uh, out of reach and certainly out of control, but um, we were just pouring it on and we knew that 50 was going to be very, very close after that toot score
0: kick returns always have a way of, of, building the crowd. Cause it's such a long play typically. And with the way that one played out, you, you mentioned the traffic, like it really did look like he was bottled up. And then when he broke loose, I'm sure the Hokies fans were just going absolutely crazy. And he, it was that the one he has the hand up in the air,
1: hand up in the air. And I'm just looking the whole time. Like any flags, any flags, <laughs> no flags.
0: Yeah. That, that was sweet. And, and it was kind of like a really, Cool for Tooten, who's had such an amazing season, such a hard-fought season. He's been banged up with injuries, but he plays in every game. He gets a ton of yards, and he is honestly, in some ways, like even too good to be on our team. Like you know what I mean? Like he is he is an elite playmaker, and we are so lucky to have him and pull him out of the portal. Great, great pull by the coaching staff to bring Bayshaw into the Hokies, and that was. That was amazing. I really loved the speed we saw from Felton too on that long one. That was that was incredible because there was defenders in front of him and he just burst right through the seam there.
1: You know, after every single tech game and even more to my uh to my appreciation of tech win. I look at Bill Roth and his post-game late hits that he posts. Oh, those are great. I love those. Oh, good. Because, you know, he'll he'll pull some good nuggets, and one of them was about uh, Daquan Felton's touchdowns this year. For the season, Felton has touchdowns of 62, 54, 39, 34, 70, 42, and now 84 yards. Um, This is a guy who has 38 catches on the year, 17.6 yards per catch. And eight touchdowns on the season. Uh, DaQuan Felton has been rock solid, especially the second half of the year. But you're right the uh, the breakaway speed that we saw in that 84 yarder catch and run was it it was like he was a track star. I remember David Wilson and Dimitri Knowles. They were uh, I don't know if both of them were 100 yard sprint guys, but um, or 100 meter. But uh, I mean, that was out of control. Awesome. And yeah, uh, yeah I see Mike's comment here felt like uh, felt and looked like Ryan Williams, dragging the defender in the end zone. He did. Uh, it, and adding common. that element, that big playability element is something that tech has severely lacked over the
0: last couple years. And when we lost Allie Jennings for the season, we didn't know who was going to step up. We knew Lane had ability and I felt bad for Lane because he had the long, his own speedster touchdown called back where he just, I mean, he, he embarrassed those guys with that speed and it got called back for a penalty, but uh, that is something we've lacked so much. And to have it with these guys with with Tootin and Felton and Lane, it's been such a breath of fresh air. And it really helps a team who can't consistently move the ball all the time because of some of our deficiencies up front. And it, it, it's just so nice that it all came together in this game. And Kyron really did his thing in this game too: 244 yards and three touchdowns on 10 completions meaning 30 percent of his passes went for touchdowns he had 50 yards rushing and early in the game he was pulling a lot of those read options and running and it just felt like he was going to have 30 or 40 carries on the day well that was all part of the play calling plan because we saw as the game wore on it helped open things up as as we've done many times this year and tootin was able to to Get a lot of holes. At one point he had 120 yards on 12 carries. He he finished the game with with like 116, but uh a rushing touchdown, a kickoff, return touchdown, just an outstanding performance from Kyron and Tutin, who have run that um uh, the rush game to perfection this year in a lot of ways.
1: Yeah, knew we were gonna have to establish the run and go with drones right away. Um just needed to flip whatever game plan we had. At, uh, against NC State because that didn't work. And Virginia's defense, obviously very, very different. They don't have Peyton Wilson uh, in their gaps. But you mentioned that the stat line, Pete, it's kind of like a uh, like a Tyrod Taylor or Michael Vick stat line, like 10 completions. I, I think, yeah, kind of like an NB7 stat line, 10 completions for over 200 yards and then <laughs> 50 yards on the ground. He was running all over the place uh, just – He's so dangerous when he is outside of the pocket on the move, especially running to his right and throwing on the run, and finding open guys like we mentioned already, but the Steven Gosnell touchdown, um, a, a perfect example of how dangerous Kyron Jones is, how dangerous facial Tutin is. Cause that was a play action play. And then uh, yeah, Gosnell made it happen, but so good to see. I mean, you need to run the football. You need to pass the football. And uh, we were able to do both on Saturday.
0: And you're exactly right on on drones. When he's on the run, he just seems so comfortable, particularly the rollout to the right. And and if that's the case, which it certainly seems like it is, that's a good call by the offensive coordinator to find out where your QB is comfortable and make those plays happen, open up things so you can get to those plays. I want to brag on our O-line. We'll we'll cover defense and I'll let you get out of here. But the O-line, real quick, didn't give up a sack. We ran for 252 yards. Outstanding performance for that unit who has struggled this year. And uh, I just wanted to 6.8 yards per rush as a team deserves to be mentioned and applauded. And this this game, this question that's on the screen says, what bowl game and our opponent we're rooting for? We'll attack that right at the end. Um, but yeah, the, good job by the O-line. Uh, let's move to the defense. We sacked Calandria five times, six total sacks in the game, countless other pressures and hits. We even had back-to-back APR penalties. <laughs> what did you think about that, Pat? <laughs>
1: Yeah, that was that was kind of kind of hilarious, um, and and you know we could we could joke about it certainly because you know they didn't score in that drive, and uh, you know it was a, a dominant first half by the defensive line. I wonder, like, was there any like, hey, APR, rough him up a little bit, um, or was this like, just purely like, hey, I'm going to pick up these penalties because I want to scare this guy? I don't know. Um, I'd love to know kind of what those conversations were going on sideline between uh Marvin and, and jc and uh and some of the guys on the d-line but it was kind of awesome it was I mean, awesome. It, hindsight hindsight it was it was hysterical and incredible yeah. but um you know this was now if i'm not mistaken this was the same drive that uh cole nelson sacked him twice or was that uh the drive after i you know, I'm not sure,
0: but Cole did play a fantastic game. He did have those two sacks, multiple other big plays. It was funny because that drive started because of our interception, right? Was that right? And then we – I'm mixing this up. Because there was there was a, a, a drive where they're like, we turned it over, they turned it over, and it canceled each other out. But in this one, the first APR penalty, like I was kind of mad at because they're on their own too and we're about mm-hmm. to get the ball back. JC Price had just caught the ball on the sideline and spiked it behind him. I don't know if you saw that, but it was hilarious. And then um and then the second one, I was just kind of laughing because it's like, all right, they, they they clearly don't respect this guy. They're going to they're going to continue to beat him up, and he looked beaten up at the end of that game. There's some some screenshots going around where he just he looked really bad and we absolutely stuffed him in a locker. It's something I put on on the Twitter feed, on the too deep account. I put it on Instagram that we needed to hit this kid and make him think about it and turn the ball over. And he did. That was exactly as I had hoped. Nelson had a good game. Delane had the interception. Tisdale led us in tackles. Norell was making plays five pass breakups as a team Dorian in and, and the guys did a great job on Malik and fields when the game was still in question. Exactly. And, and, and like they got yards later, but I thought, I thought our defense played outstanding. And Pain too. I mean, Felderius Payne, what a what a nice addition this year. We weren't sure what we were going to get out of him coming off the injury, but he had three tackles for loss in this game.
1: Yeah, the defense was lights out, and I think that was one of the biggest differences too, Pete, when you talk about just how the offensive lines for each team had such an impact, uh, whether it was positive or negative. I mean, we were in their backfield the entirety of the day. Um, didn't seem – that uh, was the case for us when we were on offense, but uh, every single play Calandria was running for his life mm-hmm. and our guys were ragdolling him throughout the entirety of the game. And then you mentioned Dorian strong doing a good job on Malik Washington, Malik Washington had 14 catches, which is, absolutely crazy yeah you could, look at, you could look at our stat sheet and see you know our uh some of our best wide receivers and that's you know half the amount of catches they have all season um we knew malik washington was going to be assignment number one after last week's kc Concepcion, more like kc conundrum dude he went off again this week kc did <laughs> yeah sidebar sidebar great to see uh the pack just completely eviscerating. Dude,
0: they they own uh, UNC man. It, it's it's so fun. They've won four out of six now in that rivalry. So yeah, that was nice to see. But back to uh back to Malik and the coverage.
1: Yeah. The uh, you know, he had over a hundred yards and fourteen catches, but none of them really mattered. Had a long of 31, but kept him out of the end zone as well. Um really, really solid job by the defense. And great to see Delane get a pick too. Yeah. Um showed some serious speed on his uh His INT returned and getting in the end zone, but set us up nicely. And uh, I mean, yeah, it was. It was also just goofy. Uh, The UVA fans like to mock Tech fans when we shake our keys on third down, which is the goofiest (laughs) thing. Like it was like twenty four. Actually, I think it was in the second half. Like we might have been up like thirty points, and shaking my keys. And lady turns around, oh, key play, key play. Like, wait, why are you still here? (laughs)
0: right it is a key play we we still care i'm watching the game i was out at the bar uh in second half with some friends and like it's 48 to 17 or whatever it was and i am still like locked in like i just i want us to keep scoring i want us to keep stuffing them and i think that's how every virginia tech is like i want more i want more (laughs) and uh yeah i'm glad uh i'm glad you got to stick it to them because at the end of the game we rushed their field <laughs> again.
1: <laughs> yeah. the uh, That was just, it just added to the, uh, the comedic efforts of the day. You have, you have hundreds of Virginia tech students uh, standing on the hill. And I got a text from Adam Gentile, who's a senior at tech uh, early in the day. He was like, or not early in the day. He was like, Hey, come to the hill, come to the hill. I was like, dude, no, like I got, I, I didn't bring my cleats uh you know i don't want i don't need that lower back pain like i'm gonna <laughs> i'm gonna go to my seat but uh shout out to all those hokey students who made their way yeah did they the just NFL. like bust them up or something like where'd they all come from <laughs> <laughs> they got the memo that last time it was really fun up in uh, lane stadium north so they all decided to join in on the party but uh clock hit zeros and all of a sudden <laughs> You know, I don't know who it was, it was probably all the uh, all the kids who did it last time. Were like, hey, let, let's let's uh make this a lot more fun and, and go celebrate with the team. That's exactly what they did, and all of a sudden, there are probably at least a, a thousand Virginia Tech fans on the field. And so, we we turn and look around and say, hey, let, let, let's go. And we got up, got on down there, and uh, just you know, did the same thing we did last time, hung out, took some pictures, had some fun. Uh, JC Price the yard was the fifty-yard line.
0: Yeah. It's that's, that's his, uh, smoking section out there.
1: <laughs> yeah, Scott stadium is a, uh, is a no smoking area except for on the field, <laughs> except for on the field and in the visitor locker room.
0: So something I was talking about with Robbie before the game was that this was prize first matchup. It was Elliot's first matchup. You had mentioned that earlier in this podcast and, uh, it's hard to know how the team's going to come out and play. We know Pry has an understanding of the rivalry from being in in Virginia Tech's program in the past, growing up in, not growing up, but like going to high school in Virginia. And he preaches the flagship program and and the importance of recruiting the state. So you knew he was going to put an emphasis on it, but I kind of had forgotten just, you know, there's so many talking points going into this game. He has JC price to lean on when you are, trying to motivate this team, trying to emphasize the importance of this game. Cause there's a lot of new guys on this roster and they clearly got the message. Whoever was doing it. I would love to talk to JC just how the week leading up uh win, but that's, that's why I feel like JC takes some crap in the offseason. He took some crap last year or whatever. I think the D line has played tremendously better than they were during the Fuente era over the last two seasons. I know early in the year we were struggling. Some of our seniors may have not been bringing it hard every week, but Fuga, Pollard, and kendrick say got the message. They played a great game, and it's a credit to JC and his coaching and his ability to motivate these guys for a big rivalry game.
1: Yeah, also noted that I saw, and I picked up in Bill Roth's late hits, 38 sacks on the year, six on Saturday. 38 sacks is the most in the Atlantic Coast Conference. You know, you lead the conference in sacks, you probably had a good year. You probably have some good guys (laughs) that you've been leaning on. And the veterans in the middle, Pollard, Kendricks, Fuga, they know what it's like to win at Virginia. Um, And you you add newer guys like Burgos and uh, Cole Nelson. I guess Cole Nelson's been around a a while now. but um, And then APR into the mix. And it's going to be chaos. You, you got a guy like JC leading the leading the uh, the defensive front, and you know this is his third time lighting up at Scott Stadium. I, I saw someone put up a uh, put up a side by side. I think I think he was smoking cigar after the '95 game. Yes, and they lined that up with 2021 and now 2023. But uh, you have guys to lean on. You have guys to keep you uh, keep everyone motivated. Um, and then I also wanted to talk about APR. Finishes the regular season with nine and a half sacks. Come uh, on, so man! So <laughs> close, so close to those double digits, and uh, we thought he was going to get there. So hopefully, whoever we get in the bowl, uh, he he's got to get it in the bowl. He's got to we, we we would love to see it.
0: All right, finally, Pat, we got to six and six. We're going to a bowl. We didn't start the season well, but we finished strong, and it seems we have a quarterback moving forward, which is which is key in the game of football. Would you rate this season? There was a lot of talk about would this be a success or failure if uh, if we go five and seven? At six and six, how do you rate this season? You can use a 10-point scale. You can just use a word. How do you feel about the year?
1: I feel good. I, I, you know, Vegas, five and a half wins is what I got it at earlier in the year. Uh, we exceeded that, and we did that beating our rival, but not just beating our rival, destroying them. And you kind of have to look at this season in, in two parts, conference play and non-conference play. And obviously we, we stumbled out the gate early, start out one and three, and then you beat the brakes off Pittsburgh at home. And all of a sudden, you know, that momentum changed. And I think we leaned on Lane Stadium a lot this year, um, knowing that um, we were we were very much a dangerous football team at home. Um It's funny how our schedule ended up lining up too, that our three losses in conference were to the three best teams in the conference, Florida State at Louisville, and then NC State, who's a nine and three football team. Our five wins were beating the basement of the conference. Um, All five of those, I think, finished in the bottom five of the ACC. So what we're, as, uh, as Devin Jay is saying, are we the Dallas Cowboys beat up on the bad teams and lose to the good teams? I think for this point in uh, this regime, that's a good place to be um, compared to last year where we really couldn't beat anyone. And then this year destroying some of these bad teams. Um, I think it's really something that we can build on here, but yeah, overall, you know, you make that bowl game, you win two, fa- you win two conference games on the road in November. Um, and then uh, I think momentum just winning that rivalry game, is, is massive. So yeah, I feel good about the program. I think, you know, probably feeling it like if I'm on a scale of one to 10 of how I'm feeling about things, probably like a seven and a half. Yeah.
0: Yeah. That I think I'd agree with that, especially when you think of it in year two, this isn't just a six and six season, you know, in a vacuum, you have to take into account the roster turnover, the repairing the relationships in Virginia, the fact that we started the year with a very questionable quarterback and finished the year with a guy we think we can build on. All those things factor into what I, I perceived to be a great season. I thought if we go six and six this year, I'd be immensely satisfied before the season started. We had three wins last year. We have six this year. So I, I feel good. We're, it, this was always going to be a little bit longer of a build. We're not going to come in and, and win 10 games in year one like Fuente had because he had Teller and Ford and he he, he brought in Gerard Evans. Like That was a great beginning. I'd rather have a great end. <laughs> than a great beginning because we saw how you can start good and it can go the other way. Let's build this thing the right way. And I, I feel, I feel very positive about the six and six season. Robbie and I are going to go into more detail on the UVA game when we record later in the week. And we're also going to talk about bowl destinations and And Pat right now I'm seeing military's a possibility, sun bowl, against USC was a possibility. That's a little frightening. And then the Duke's Mayo bowl right in your hometown there (laughs) where you're living these days. Uh, what are you rooting for?
1: Yeah, I'm, I'm rooting for one of three options and I've ruled out probably three or four options that I don't want to happen. Um, but if I were to, if this is Pat Finn's big board of bowl game destinations, I'm putting Dukes Mayo at number one. Um, I think we have some unfinished business in Charlotte from that 2019 Lynn Bowden game. I don't think we're at the top of the Dukes Mayo uh, big board right now, though. I think they're probably looking at some other schools right now. Um, Military Bowl at number two. Just really easy destination for all the folks in the D.C. area, folks in the Philly area and South Jersey. Pete. Folks in North Jersey, I know my whole family would be able to get to that one mm-hmm. uh, at the Military Bowl. That and one on thing the-
0: about the Military Bowl, I've been a couple of them, uh, that parking lot is absolutely awful. So if you go to the Military Bowl, be prepared to to postgate because you're going to need like an hour of just chilling before you can get out of that because the, the, the situation of getting out is, is so bad.
1: We love it. We love a good PSA. <laughs> prepared a that is a uh, that's a two PM kick. I think Belk, not the Belk Bowl, the Duke's Mayo Bowl is like a five or a six PM kick. Both of those games are on December 27th, which is a Tuesday or a Wednesday after Christmas. I think it's a Wednesday after Christmas. And then you have, I just you know, the Gasparilla Bowl just seems kind of exciting. Seems like there's some flair there. It's a pre-Christmas bowl. It's on. Wait, is that December. Bad Boy Mowers? Uh, so bad boy mowers brought their bad selves up to the Bronx. Bad boy mowers is the pinstripe <laughs> bowl. Oh my God. <laughs> uh, destination. So yeah, there, there just seems to be a little bit of mystique around this, uh, this Gasparilla bowl down in Tampa pre Christmas. Um, that could be exciting just cause Tampa. I like Tampa a lot better than Orlando. I feel like we've been to Orlando quite a few times over the Dude, years. Tampa's so,
0: great. Tampa's a fun yeah. party town. A lot of breweries in Tampa, I've been to that stadium for an ACC title game way back in the day. <laughs> in fact, I'm, I think that was the 07 one that was in Tampa. And there's like all this stuff before the game, like come to the ACC, you know, concert parties featuring Blake Shelton. And I'm like, who the heck is Blake Shelton? never heard of that <laughs> idiot. <laughs> like, 15 years later, he's one of the biggest country stars on the planet. But it's that's what it stands out to me about Tampa. But Tampa would be so much fun.
1: Tampa would rule. Yeah. The, uh, I know we don't have the Gator bowl tie in anymore. Um, the, this, I guess the Orlando bowl is now called the cheese hit bowl, which is just a crack up to begin with. Tony the
0: tiger team. sun bowl, yeah. right? <laughs>
1: yeah. Any, honestly anywhere, but El Paso, I think a lot of folks would agree <laughs> that, uh, you know, unless we have folks who can get to El Paso easily, but I am, I'm a seller on the Tony, the tiger game. Uh, I know that yeah. is, uh, a good tradition, but uh probably not going to make it out there. And then there's the bat, uh, the baseball bowls. There is the pinstripe bowl. There's the Fenway bowl. Went to the pinstripe. I'm actually wearing my pinstripe bowl t-shirt uh, nice. today to, to commemorate us making the bowl game, but I am uh, not interested in seeing us play at a baseball stadium. Didn't really have the best view in 2021 of the pinstripe bowl. So um kind of ruling that one out and Fenway it's going to be colder than it is in the Bronx. So um, do we miss any, do we miss any that? We're in contention for, I, I don't know, but like, I think the the actual possibilities are probably very few.
0: Like, I feel like it's going to, you said Duke's mail, but like, it's, to me, it's like 90% chance of a military bowl. Yeah. Like that, that's, that's what it feels like. And that would be fine. Cause we're going to bring a lot of fans there. Uh, there's not a bad seat in that stadium. Like you can, it's, it's not a very big stadium, but it's, it's a fun place to watch a game. Hopefully we get some sun this time because the last time it was pouring rain in our loss to Cincinnati and it was, it was not very fun, but I will say this about El Paso. I was, I was talking to my, to my brother-in-law about bowl possibilities and he was in the military and he's like, El Paso is pretty fun. he's Cause he was stationed down in Texas for a little while. And he's like, it's, I'm like, but it's so close to Juarez. He's like, yeah, but it's, it's across the border. It's fine. It's, it's a nice little town. To have some fun. And I'm like, okay. He's like, the food is great.
1: <laughs> I bet the food is awesome. And you know, you mentioned it not being sunny at the uh, the last military bowl. Hopefully there'll be some sun at whatever bowl we're going to Yeah, um, sun bowl or not for sure.
0: Well, Pat, I'm going to let you go, but I did want to tell the listeners that on the national championship game Monday, we are going to have a college football Monday viewing party on this channel. That's right. Live on this channel, me, Pat, probably Billy, Robbie, and many other guests will be watching the national championship game of the college football playoff with you live. We'll be talking hokies. We'll be talking about the game. It's gonna have that Peyton and Eli feel. Hopefully, we're not <laughs> likely as funny as they are, but uh, but you know, Pat can Pack and compete with those guys with his personality, so it'll be, it'll be, it'll be a lot of fun. So make sure you're you're paying attention to that. We'll get a list of guests and what the deal is for that national championship money. But I didn't think there was a better way to celebrate the end of the season on College Football Monday with the national championship game, which is on a Monday. So, anyway. Pat thank you for joining me this morning you stayed longer than than I had promised uh, that you would have to but you you had great things to say and now I'm gonna do 40 minutes of college football talk after I hang up with you here <laughs>
1: awesome Pete always a pleasure good to see you and uh hey most importantly glad we got that win on Saturday looking forward to uh to these extra practices you know we we don't have to go to practice as uh, as podcasters here but it does give us some uh some good content as well, but uh, yeah, love, love what you're doing with college football Monday fired up for that national championship broadcast that we'll do. And uh, hope everyone has an awesome week. Yes, sir.
0: Later, Pat, go Hokies. See ya. All right. Pat was great. He's always so fun to talk to lifelong Hokie fan who has probably seen more games than even I have, uh, even though I have a few years on him. we're going to get into week 13 now. The big game, the game, Michigan beat Ohio state for the third straight year, 30 to 24. This was a very even game and one that going in with the way we saw Michigan last week and what Ohio state did the previous week, blowing an opponent out, there was potential for this to be a close game and for maybe Ohio state to get the upset. But at one point it it seemed like Michigan was in control. They had a nice lead. Uh, but Ohio State, to their credit, put together a really nice drive, scored on the run by Henderson to make it all knotted up at 17. But Michigan responded right away. The second TD by Blake Corum. He breaks the single season rushing touchdown record for Michigan, which think about all the great rushers and seasons they've had. And now Blake Corum stands alone with the most rushing touchdowns in a single year of 22 Wolverines kicked a field goal to extend the lead to 10 before Marvin Harrison Jr. got in the end zone midway through the fourth. And the Wolverines had one more field goal to make it a six-point margin with a minute left, and ultimately McCord threw his second interception of the game, and Michigan won. My opinion on this game was that if C.J. Stroud was still at Ohio State, they win this game because they are a top-notch quarterback away from beating Michigan McCord is okay. He's, he's an average to above average P five quarterback. And most other teams in the country would probably kill to have him, but you also have to keep in mind, he has elite weapons, the best wide receiver in college football. So a lot of quarterbacks are going to look pretty darn good playing for Ohio state, but they needed a great quarterback to win this game. And, and, OSU football and their fan base is just a pressure cooker. Cause now you've got, you've got the Ryan day hot seat talk, which I think is a little silly and a little bit media induced. Uh, but there's probably some Ohio state fans after losing their third straight game to Michigan that want to kick him to the curb, even though he's 55 and seven because he loses these tough games. They were a field goal away. From being in the national championship and probably winning a national championship because they would have beat down TCU. So I, I don't know. It's it's crazy. Michigan wins again. They are now undefeated. They finished their regular season twelve and zero. They're going to be number one in the CFP rankings on Tuesday. The following week, I'm not so sure, but I will. I will get to that later. And that brings me to Alabama. Squeaking by Auburn, what a game this was! Twenty-seven to twenty-four, they got a TD pass to Bond on fourth and thirty-one to win the game. Fourth and thirty-one, they win the game. Absolutely ridiculous ending. Bama had the yardage advantage by over hundred yards. They gained three turnovers to zero, and they were still about to lose this game to Hugh Freeze and Auburn. And you knew Hugh was going to bring something after that embarrassment against New Mexico State, you knew he was going to bring something, and he did. Milrow played a solid game, but his numbers look even better after that final touchdown pass. 259 yards passing, 107 yards rushing, and 89.5 QBR. Auburn was able to rush the ball, though. 244 yards on the ground against a very, very good Alabama defense. They completed just six passes. Like, Alabama knew what Auburn was doing. They were just going to run the football. They had six completed passes in the game. Thorn threw two interceptions and Bama escapes in Jordan hair to keep their playoff hopes alive. However slim they may be. Can they beat Georgia in the sec title game? The numbers historically would tell you they might be able to, but will it be enough to get into the playoff? I will get that later. Cause it's just not that simple of, Oh yeah. If Bama wins sec champ, they're in the playoff. I don't know if it's that simple. Oregon dominated Oregon State on Friday night, thirty-one to seven in the Civil War. Bo Nix went for three hundred ninety-eight total yards, three total touchdowns. The, his wide receivers Johnson and Franklin, one hundred thirty-seven and one hundred twenty-eight receiving yards respectively. Add insult to injury for Oregon State in this one—they no longer have a conference and they no longer have a coach because Jonathan Jonathan Smith has moved on to Michigan State. So. A rough weekend all around for the Beavers, and it and it's sad that we don't know exactly when that civil war is going to happen again. Brutal way for a couple of really good years of football in Corvallis to end because they they have really been a breath of fresh air in college football. It's always kind of fun when Oregon State has a solid year. They finish at eight and four. Washington outlasts Wazoo in the Apple Cup, twenty four to twenty one. Huskies Huskies kicked a field goal. As time expired to win the game, that last drive, 12 plays, 65 yards. Cougs had the yardage advantage, the first down advantage. They were in Washington territory with the game tied with four minutes left. They couldn't get it done. Couldn't capitalize. Washington had the fourth and one. That pitch to Odunze on the fake, that was so sweet. That set up the field goal at the end. Undefeated season for Washington, really amazing. But if they don't beat Oregon, it's all for naught. Because if they lose that game, they're not going to the playoff. Vegas currently really likes Oregon to win. I think last time I checked, it was a nine and a half point as Oregon favored. So Washington has, they beat them the first time. They've had a fantastic year. They haven't looked as strong as Oregon overall to me. And obviously to Vegas. But if they win, they're in. And if they lose, they're out. This is a playoff game for Washington coming up in the Pac 12 title game. <sighs> Pardon me. Oklahoma State came back to beat BYU 40 to 34. They were down 24 to 6 at the half. They were blowing it. Oklahoma State was blowing it. But Ali Gordon ran for five touchdowns. 166 yards on 34 carries. They just ran him right into the turf. Bowman had 321 yards passing for OK State, but he threw two picks. But they're going to get their shot at Texas because they were a winning in. There was a lot of scenarios that could have played out in the Big 12. If Texas won, they were in. They crushed. And if Oregon State won, they were in. So it's going to be Texas against them. Texas is the heavy favorite. I think Oklahoma State has a shot. Because even though Texas looked great against Texas Tech, and they they have a better overall roster, and were you know the preseason top five pick or whatever, top ten pick, Oklahoma State has shown a fight. And the only game in the last eight games or whatever was that letdown spot against UCF. That was just a disaster in the rain. So they have been a very tough team to beat. They they went to BYU and won that game. So. I think they're going to give Texas a problem, but I do think Texas is going to win. Florida State beat Florida. Yeah, Florida State beat Florida 24 to 15. They needed 10 points in the fourth quarter to seal the deal. They were losing by one midway through the final quarter because Rademacher really wasn't great, especially early on. Only 12 of 25 in the game, a 43.8 QBR. The offense really, really struggled early. But Benson came up huge with three rushing touchdowns, 95 yards. He had a great run for a touchdown later in the game. FSU defense was pretty ferocious, as we might have expected, against a backup quarterback on the other side. Six sacks on Max Brown and 11 tackles for loss. Florida was able to run the ball a bit, which I, I kind of was surprised about. I thought that FSU's front would, would make it that a little bit more challenging, and Florida controlled the clock, which gave them a chance. And their defense was solid as well, obviously, because they were they were stifling Florida State. But Florida fell apart in the fourth quarter. Tons of mistakes, penalties, couldn't move the ball. FSU only had 224 yards in this game. But they won, finished the season undefeated, and they have Louisville up next. And a big narrative in, in, in CFB right now, or at least a discussion, is if Florida State goes 13-0, will they get left out of the playoff because they don't have Travis and they haven't looked as strong and, and they're winning the ACC, which no one respects the ACC, but like at a conference, in some ways we had better seasons than a, a few of the other power conferences. If they go 13-0, and 0, they will be in. I The committee's not going to set that precedent. They might be behind a one-loss team in the four because that's happened before. In 2014, when Florida State went 13-0, and 0, they were not ahead of all the one-loss teams. They were, they were, I think, the three seed, but don't quote me on that. Either way, that would probably happen again. You might see Florida State as the four with an undefeated record, but they're not getting left out if they beat Louisville. Can they beat Louisville is the question with the way they looked this past Saturday. Well, let's talk about Louisville because they had their own problems. UK got the best of them yet again, 38-31. to 31. I saw this worded in more than one place that Louisville gave that game away. They the way they lost that game was impressive, as Colby Dan put it. Louisville had a hundred and fourteen yard advantage. They were up 17 to 7 before UK got the kickoff return. They are up 24 to 14 before Kentucky scored 24 of the final 31 points in the game. Multiple costly fumbles for the cards. Three total turnovers. Ray Davis kept getting loose in the rush game and the pass game. Leary played well enough to win. Three touchdowns for him. Three touchdowns for Davis. 131 total yards for Davis. He has been so excellent for them. And I do not want to see Kentucky in the Dukes-Mayo Bowl. We already did that. I don't want to see it. That is a bad matchup for us. Fifth straight win for the Cats. Then after the game, there was Stoops is going to Texas A&M. Like it, uh, barring a collapse, Mark Stoops is going to Texas A&M as the next head coach. Not so fast, my friend. He is back at Kentucky, and there's a, there's another coach at Texas A&M, and I'll talk about that in a second. Speaking of dominant teams in a rivalry, I mentioned it with Pat. NC State beats UNC for the third year in a row. That's six wins in eight years for the pack. Brendan Armstrong was great. He continued what he did against us. 334 yards, three touchdowns, 82.6 QBR. Concepcion, seven receptions for 131. 55 rushing yards on top. So we're talking about 190 total yards, two receiving TDs for Concepcion. May wasn't good enough. Two interceptions in this game. He did have 106 yards rushing due to that long run and three total touchdowns, but NC State held the ball for 40 minutes, same thing they did against us, netted three turnovers, 504 yards of offense for NC State. For an offense that had been struggling so much through the first nine, 10 games of the year, they blew up these past few games. And this this season for NC State is a huge credit to Dave Doran. I've never been a big Dave Doran fan. I feel like he's just kind of a boring coach who, who doesn't win big, but he put up with so much BS this year. He had his running back quit the team. He had his quarterback decide to essentially quit the team. And he finds a way to get nine wins for NC state this year. Really impressive job. Good, good on the Wolfpack. Arizona beat Arizona state 59 to 23. This is an Arizona podcast. The game was really over at halftime. The Wildcats were up 38-7. to Fafita threw for 527 yards, passing in the game. Five touchdowns, just insane. 98.2 QBR for Fafita. Rashada on the other side was absolutely terrible. McMillan, the receiver for Arizona, 266 yards receiving and a touchdown. Cowing had 157 and a touchdown. McLaughlin had two touchdowns. Wiley rushed for two touchdowns. Arizona blew up. It was a party in the desert. Uh, they finished the year at nine and three, and third in a very, very good Pac-12. Just amazing for Arizona. What a what a job there! Ole Miss won a boring Egg Bowl, seventeen to seven. Ten wins for Lane and the Rebels. Two out of the last three seasons. That hasn't happened at Ole Miss since the nineteen sixties. Really, really impressive. When a lot of the year, like people like Bud Elliott, people like myself, were saying they're not very good. Ole Miss isn't very good. They kept finding a way to win games, and they get to 10 wins in the regular season. Impressive. Clemson beat South Carolina 16-7 to in a really lame Palmetto Bowl. Clemson finishes the year 8-4 after starting 4-4. They beat two ranked teams in that span. Dabo said buy the stock. He was right. They finished strong. Let's see if they get in the portal and maybe get back to their dominant ways next year. Notre Dame beat Stanford to finish 9-3. and three. Estimate had 238 yards and four touchdowns, almost 10 yards a carry. Tulane beat UTSA 29-16. They punched their ticket to the AAC title game, and that finishes my roundup on the games. Whew. As I said at the top of the show, College Football Monday is brought to you by McCoy's Auto Repair in Radford VA. Who doesn't love supporting a local family-owned and operating business? You know I do. You know Pat does. You know Billy does. All the sons do. That's what you get with McCoy's. They were established in 1980 over 40 years ago and they offer full service. They can rebuild your transmission. They can rebuild your engine. You can get all the mundane day-to-day things you need done. You need your state inspection. You need your oil changes. Go over to McCoy's. They're going to take care of you. They have diesel repair, fleet service. They do it all. They also sell tires. Get fresh tires for this winter. Don't be skidding around. And they have that optional pickup and drop-off service, which is so clutch. If you just can't get to the shop from work, so, head to McCoy's Auto Repair for all your vehicle maintenance needs this winter or give them a call. The number is right on the screen 540 639 2933. And you can also find them on Facebook. Super easy find. Just put it in the search bar, it'll come right up. Just like that old hokey buddy of yours, McCoy's is a name you can trust. I want to talk about the coaching carousel real quick before I get to some other notables the AP poll in my playoff four. Oregon State's Jonathan Jonathan Smith heads to Michigan State. That's a really good fit, I think, for them. He's shown he can build at a place where it's so hard to win. And Michigan State is up against Michigan and Ohio State and Penn State for recruits and in the standings. They need a builder. They know they're not going to out-recruit those teams. They need someone who can build. Jonathan Smith is that guy. I like that higher. Mike Elko to AM used to be their DC. When he was there, they had some stability. I think that's a really good hire for AM. It's another really hard place to win. In fact, I've called AM the Michigan State of the SEC because they have similar issues. You know, they go up against the big boys for recruits and in the standings every year. And it's very difficult. And there hasn't been a ton of historical big time success at AM. But Mike Elko, what he did at Duke in a short time, if he gets a quarterback, he's gonna he's gonna have a roster full of dudes they're gonna put NIL money out there, they're gonna get recruits. He could do well there. I think that's I think that's a better hire for them and a cheaper hire for them than Mark Stoops. Mississippi State hires Jeff Levy, The Oklahoma OC. I think they want to score some points down to Mississippi State. We'll see if Levy can do that. Houston has fired Dana Holgerson. Not entirely surprising but uh Holgo was billed as like, oh, he was in the P5. Now he's going to the G five. He's just gonna dominate. He did not. I never thought Holgo was that great of a coach, and he's fired at Houston. Indiana fires Tom Allen. That was kind of writing on the wall. We'll see what Indiana does there. Another really hard spot. Kind of I liken it to Syracuse. Like it's just a very difficult place to win. Syracuse might be on the cusp of hiring Dan Mullen. That's been that's been in the rumor mill. There will be more firings. There will be more hirings and subsequently more openings that come open because of that. The carousel is going to start going wild. The portal is going to start going wild. It's, it's a very exciting time of year. It's kind of a sad time of year, but it's very exciting to just see all the news, especially when you just beat your rival and become bowl eligible. I just get to sit back and watch the chaos of the carousel. I'm in. Other notable things that happened at CFB this weekend. Jaden Daniels put up more stats. 235 yards passing, four touchdowns, 120 yards rushing in their win over AM. I think he's he's over. Yeah, I think he's at 50 touchdowns total on the year now. 50 touchdowns for Jaden Daniels. Currently second in the Heisman odds. Bo Nix is number one. JMU is going bowling. They beat Coastal, but more importantly, not enough teams qualified for bowl eligibility. So JMU and Jacksonville State are in. They are going bowling. Congrats to the Dukes. 12 Sun Belt teams are actually going to bowls, including the entire East Division, including our first opponent of the year, ODU. ODU got to bowl eligibility this past weekend in a wild game. Great year for that conference in general. Love the Sun Belt. So fun. 11 ACC teams are going bowling. That's the second most. So the Sun Belt had 12, ACC has 11 due to our win. And a couple other things that happened. Not a bad year for the ACC. Could have been better. We didn't have that second powerhouse to go up against FSU. But NC State had a nice year, as I talked about. And, of course, Clemson finished strong. And uh, it was all right. We'll see. I'll get to the ACC title game in a minute. Northwestern finishes 7-5. and five. I have to mention this because... After they dismissed Pat Fitzgerald in the offseason, and they had such a terrible season last year, what could any of us have expected from Northwestern? We all thought it was going to be a disaster. David Braun got this team to 7-5 and with his win over Illinois on Saturday. Incredible coaching effort by that guy. They're going to retain him. Really, really amazing job by Northwestern. Liberty finished the regular season undefeated. Boo. After beating UTEP 42 to 28, score wasn't that close. Come on, New Mexico State. Do us a solid in the championship game. Colorado finished last in the Pac-12. I I, I swear this is not this is not shade on Coach Prime, but with the way the season started and the narrative, he's changing college football. We have to talk about how it ended. One and eight in the Pac 12 for Colorado. Four and eight overall, and if you ask me, without Shador, where is this team? Without the coach having an extremely good quarterback for a son, who obviously is going to pick his dad's school to go play for, this team is probably a one-win team again. Seriously, like think the Colorado State game went into overtime. Like there, there was they. This team was not good. They were billed. They beat three bad teams to start the year or mid teams at best. And everyone was was crowning them. It couldn't hold up. They went one and eight in their conference. So there is work to do for Coach Pride. A lot of work to do. AP poll. Let me get this on the screen for you guys. All right. AP poll after week 13. Georgia's still number one, Michigan, number two. Still four undefeated P5 teams after Michigan's win over Ohio State. Washington at number three, despite their close call. They're still ahead of Florida State at number four. Oregon's at five, Ohio State six, Texas seven. Kind of surprised Texas isn't above Ohio State. After the way Texas dominated Texas Tech, they have the win over Bama. Kind of thought Texas would be in front of Ohio State. They are not. Louisville dropped to number 15 after their loss down six spots. They're behind three lost teams, LSU and Arizona. I think that's fair. I think those teams are better than LSU and they are one spot in front of Notre Dame, a team they beat. So that makes sense. Five G fives are in five. Tulane is the highest at number 17. SMU, their opponent in the AAC title game pops in at number 25. Liberty is number 20. Toledo is number 23 and JMU is number 24. So, One-fifth, 20% of the AP Top 25 is G5 schools. That will not be the case in the playoff rankings, but it is the case here in the AP. Tennessee dropped out as they should have. I don't think they should have been ranked last week. Them and Clemson are 26th and 27th if you go to the receiving votes, respectively. The only four-loss team in the poll is the Beavers. They come in at number 22. I think that's right. Beavers are a good team. They played a lot of good teams this year. I mentioned the Heisman being a a two-man race, essentially. Bo Nix minus 180 right now. Daniels plus 140. Penix has dropped all the way down to plus 1600. So it is between Bo and Daniels. And Bo has a chance to impress and maybe lock up that Heisman in the Pac-12 championship game. Today is Cyber Monday. So I need to mention this deal you're going to get from Compass Coffee. College Football Monday is brought to you by Compass Coffee, and today they are offering our listeners 50% off orders of $50 or more. I know that might sound like a lot of money. You buy yourself a five-pound bag of coffee, you're over that limit, you're going to get half off. Half off. Last night I went on, I ordered my own thing. Use code 2 dvt on the Compass Coffee app or on their website. They have so many choices. I'm, I'm a dark gross guy. So I, I got like five different, different dark roasts. They have the Holiday Blend, the Waypoint Blend, the Shaw Blend. If you're familiar with DC, that's where the Compass Coffee location started, I believe. But they have 16 locations throughout DC and Northern VA. They're almost just as popular as a Starbucks in town. I, I'm exaggerating a bit, but there are a lot of Compass Coffees out there. Their coffee is fantastic. Started by two Marines. They were just trying to make a good cup of coffee that would point you in the right direction every day. Kind of like a Compass. Go to their site, download the app, use code 2DVT. You are going to get 50% off, 50, off an order of $50 or more on Cyber Monday, all day today. Use the code 2DVT. Compass Coffee, great coffee, doesn't have to be complicated. Conference Championship Games. I've talked about a few of them here and there, but let me let me just talk a little bit more. Conference USA, 10-3 and New Mexico State against 12-0 Liberty. Liberty, 10 and a half point favorites. Jerry Kill versus Jamie Chadwell. Great coaching matchup. Liberty played the easiest schedule, according to the FPI. Easiest schedule in the FBS. Their best win was New Mexico State earlier in the year, 33 to 17. Can Jerry Kill get revenge and beat Liberty to, to ruin their undefeated season? Please, please let it happen. Come on, Jerry Kill. Pac-12, 12-0 Washington against 11 and one, Oregon, Oregon, nine and a half point favorites. Last time I checked it, these lines are from last night. Uh, so just keep that in mind. And that line's a little bit wild. That's that's a lot of points, nine and a half. I had Oregon as my best team in the country a few weeks back. I'm not wavering on that. I think they're the best team in the country. And I think Bo Nix is going to beat Jaden Daniels, despite Daniel's ridiculous numbers. I think Bonex is going to win the Heisman. So they they could have the Heisman Trophy winner. I think they're the best team. I think they're going to beat Washington, and I think they're going to get in the playoff. I'll get to my playoff four shortly. Big 12, 9-3, OK State, versus 11-1, Texas. Texas, 12-point favorites. What a turnaround by the Pokes, though, to be in this game. They almost blew it against BYU, but they came back to win it overtime. Uh, I give OK State a chance in this game. They've won seven of eight. I, I said the only loss was that disaster down at UCF. Can they scare Texas? There's no more Jonathan Brooks. He he tore his ACL, but Owers has looked a little bit better. Let's see if Texas can hold serve and make their case to be in the playoff. In the MAC, 10 and two Miami of Ohio goes up against 11 and one Toledo, a ranked Toledo team. They're eight point favorites. They played the second easiest schedule according to the FBI. They lost to Illinois in game one. They've won 11 in a row, and at least Toledo beat San Jose State in at a conference, and that's a very solid win. San Jose State, many people think, should be in the Mountain West Championship. talk about that in a second, but they are not. Toledo is a very good team. Uh, They beat Miami early in the year, 21-17. Can they do it again? We'll find out. Mountain West Championship, 7-5, Boise State, a team that fired their coach, is playing for the title game against 9-3 UNLV. What a season for UNLV and Barry Odom who hadn't won nine games since 1984. Well, people are actually kind of mad about this because they just lost to San Jose state, but computer rankings actually select who goes to the mountain West championship in the case of a tie. That's right. All these teams finished at six and two in conference and the computer rankings picked UNLV and Boise state as the highest two ranked teams. So now UNLV will face a Broncos team who fired their coach midseason. Just crazy. Both teams beat Wyoming for their best win. Boise is coming in as the hotter team, winning three straight and four of their last five. I kind of think Boise is going to get it done. I kind of do. In the SEC, we've got 12-0 Georgia against 11-1 Alabama. Alabama is five-point underdogs. What a matchup yet again. Georgia's sixth appearance in seven years in the championship game. It's Bama's fourth appearance in six years in the championship game just the third title game though that these two teams have been matched up since 2012. You'd think that they're playing every year for this. They are not. It's been LSU a couple times, it's been Florida in 2020. In this recent run, Georgia has not beaten Alabama in the championship game. Believe it or not, Bama has won every time they've played in recent history and in fact, Georgia has never beaten Alabama in the title game. That goes back to 1992. Uh, there's four titles for Georgia, they've been over Arkansas, they've been over LSU twice, and they've been over Auburn, but they have not beaten Alabama to win a title. Can Georgia get over that hump? Can Milro do enough against Georgia's defense? It's, it's really going to be tough. Both of these teams did not look awesome. Both of these teams seem to maybe be looking ahead to the championship game. Even though it's the Iron Bowl, it seems like they wouldn't look ahead, but Bama didn't play well this past week. Can Bama's defense make Beck beat them? Slow him down? Beck has been really, really good. I think I think Georgia's gonna win. I, I, I have gone back and forth on Bama and Georgia all year and who I think is gonna win this game. And I was waiting to see the development of Milrow. And Milro hit an amazing pass at the end of the Auburn game to get the win. Was that a bit fluky? Was it a bit lucky? I don't know. But he has been, he has been good. But the offense for Bama has problems, and when they go up against this Georgia defense, I just don't know if they're going to be good enough. I think Georgia wins a close one, and stays undefeated, and makes the playoff in the AAC. Eleven and one Tulane against ten and two SMU. SMU three point dogs. All three of the losses for these two teams came against the P5. And and SMU has been kicking butt. They're, what is it, fourth nationally in points per game, SMU is. But they lost to TCU, and they lost to Oklahoma. And Oklahoma's not a bad loss, but TCU wasn't even very good. Nevertheless, SMU can score some points. Tulane has been a bit shaky. They got a nice win against UTSA, but before that, they struggled with ECU and some other teams. Tulane's only losses against Ole Miss. And that was without Pratt. This team could be undefeated right now. But anyway, it's going to be a good game. Tulane finds a way to win games. I think SMU kind of beats up on bad teams and struggles against good teams. I think I like Tulane. I think I like Tulane in that game. Sunbelt, App State against Troy. Look, we all know it's BS. JMU can't play for the conference title game. But if there's a team that deserves to play for it, it is App State. They went into Harrisonburg and won on game day weekend. So I think it there is some justice to App State being in the championship game against Troy. Troy is six and a half point favorites. App State's won five straight since they lost to ODU. They're hot. Aguilar, their QB, has the third most passing touchdowns in FBS. Troy has won nine in a row since losing to JMU 16-14. to 14. Vidal, the running back for Troy, is a stud, 1,300 yards. Nine rushing touchdowns. Their quarterback and their wide receivers are even better than Apps, who are very, very good. These teams played a crazy game last season. You'll remember that Troy App State game came down to a hail mary. Very fun matchup. I think I favor App. Yeah, I'm gonna go with I'm gonna go with the Mountaineers to win this. But man, that's gonna be a good one. Big Ten, Michigan against Iowa. Iowa's the 133rd ranked team in FBS in yards per play dead last yards per play 4.12 absolutely incredible that they won 10 games they scraped by Nebraska this past weekend their best win of the season is probably beating Iowa State their strength of schedule was worse than ours if you look at the Kali rankings like Iowa 10 and 2 give them a lot of credit this is not a good team Michigan will win it won't be close and Iowa Iowa might get shut out they really might get shut out in the ACC title game. Last game. I'm going to talk about 10 and two Louisville against 12 and 0 Florida state, Florida state, three and a half point favorites. I actually think this is going to be a really good game. Rademacher wasn't great at the start against Florida. He got his clock cleaned. He was less than 50% completion and Louisville, even though they lost to Kentucky has a stout rush defense, something that Florida state wants to lean on their rushing offense. So, how is this going to go? I think the matchup is actually pretty good for Louisville. They're giving up less than hundred yards per game in the rush game. Benson might have a hard time finding some holes. Louisville's also 19th in yards per play on offense. Other than FS, other than LSU who FSU played first game of the year, they don't have a good defense. Florida state's best win is probably Clemson. So like, Without Jordan Travis, this is going to be a challenge for Florida State. And you know that Brom is going to scheme something up here. He just got embarrassed against Kentucky. They lost a game they really shouldn't have. Brahm's going to have something for Florida State. This is going to be a heck of a fight. I think the front from Florida State on defense will do just enough to cause a turnover. And FSU will pull it out and go undefeated. But Louisville has a shot. Louisville has a real shot in this game. My playoff four as of today. No change to who the four are, but a slight change to the order, and I'll I'll give you my reasoning. Georgia is number one, Michigan is number two, Oregon is number three, and FSU is number four. And this is my last playoff four before it's official. So this has to be what, what I perceive the actual playoff for to be uh, going into the final weekend of college football. I don't have Texas in there. I have Georgia winning the, the Bama game. I think they're going to hop Michigan due to that win because Michigan, while beating Iowa, will be a good win. But I think when when Georgia beats an 11-1 Bama, it's going to vault them over Michigan and Georgia will be number one. Michigan will be number two. UGA is better than Bama by a narrow margin. I already went over that. Uh, I think Oregon beats Washington by maybe a touchdown or more. They avenge their only loss of the season. And in arguably the best conference, I think Oregon's going to be in. You have to keep this in mind about why I have them in over Texas. And I've separated them by FSU because I think that's what the committee's going to do. They have been ahead of Texas in every committee ranking this year Oregon has been ahead of Texas why would they drop behind Texas after they beat a 12 and 0 Washington they won't they will not drop behind Texas after they beat a 12 and 0 Washington it's not going to happen i don't care that Texas beat bama and the bama victory if this goes according to what i say unless if bama beats georgia all bets are off who knows what's going to happen that's going to be even crazier because texas has the win over bama but if bama loses That win actually gets worse, and Oregon will have beaten an undefeated team, and they're already ahead of Texas, so Oregon will be number three. And I believe if Florida State goes undefeated, they will be in that four spot, and so that is my playoff four. It's (laughs) I, I thought long and hard about having Bama win the Georgia game. I thought I thought about it so much, and then I even asked the question on Twitter: like, if Bama beats Georgia, like who gets? who gets left out. And I honestly, like if you go through the exercise, there's a very good chance if Bama beats Georgia, the sec gets left out because Michigan would be undefeated. I think Oregon would get in Texas beat Bama and Bama would be a champion and Texas would be a champion. And so Texas would be in, which means Georgia and Bama would be getting left out. That's what could happen. If, if Bama wins, it's so crazy and, and people might not agree with it. Like, oh, they're not going to leave an SEC team out. Go through the exercise. Think about it. Texas beat Bama. If they're both champs, you can't put Georgia in and you can't put Bama in over Texas. So you'd have to lose, leave FSU out or something, which I don't think they're going to do. So that would just be wild. I'd be fascinated to see what happens if, if, if Bama beats Georgia. But anyway, that is going to do it for my Playoff 4 talk. And that is going to do it for the podcast. I am losing my voice. Thank you, Pat, for joining me earlier in the show. That was great. We had an awesome conversation about what happened in Charlottesville this past weekend. What a regular season we had of college football. A little too much chalk for my liking. I would have liked to see a few more upsets. You could say that one of the, the biggest upset of the year might have been UVA over over UNC when they were number 10. Might have been Pitt over Louisville when they were well up there because those teams had such bad seasons and yet they upset two of the better teams in the ACC so again the ACC gives everyone (laughs) the chaos that they want but anyway thank you for joining me today thank you for joining me all season uh oh I got one more comment here from Devin as we head out I don't want to overreact to VT's win but VT to the 2024 playoffs yes yes Devin that is that's what I want to see, right? The ACC could be down. Who knows? We we could pull FSU, win a bunch of bunch of close games, and and go undefeated. You never know. All right. Until next time, when we are talking about where we're heading in a bowl, go hookies.